Welcome to the teaching ministry at Magnolia's First. We hope the next few minutes will help you take your next steps on your faith journey. And we would love to help you take those next steps. Just head over to m1bc.org and fill out the connect form and a pastor will get in touch with you very soon. Or you can text us at 281-343-3033. Wow, what a great camp report. Wasn't that good to hear and to see? Amen. Especially thankful for all of you that went to camp and all of you that can go to camp next year, okay? So I'm just going to ask you right now to start praying about whether or not you ought to go to camp as a sponsor. Now, you might say, well, if you can move the camp out of Texas, I'll think about it. Here's what I want you to hear. The Lord will take care of you if you'll do what he tells you to do. And so you pray now about camp and pray about being engaged in that way to be able to see these ladies that are going out on mission and to get to be part of a church family where people don't just talk about the Lord or talk about what it means to follow the Lord. They get out of the building and go do it. And so, so grateful for that. We are in our series, Tell Me the Story. And this morning, Everly Phillips, daughter of Madison, is... uh, illustrating for us the story. And this is about Joseph and the coat of many colors. So let's say thank you to Everly, please. Or let's say thank you anyway. It's all right. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 37. It's actually, it's, yeah, I don't know the name of the fish. But I'm guessing Everly's the one on the right. Okay. Now, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 37 through 50. The good news, I'm not going to read all that. But also a companion passage found in Romans chapter 8. Because as we study about Joseph and the coat of many colors, and we look at the life of Joseph, there's a very important spiritual principle that is illustrated in the life of Joseph. And it's this. Whether times are good or times are hard, God can use both of them to shape us. Good times, hard times is always God's time in the moment that we're in. And so we're going to be learning about that. I want to remind you what it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? Let's pray. Father, in this room today, there are people that are walking through some good times. And there's other folks, they're they're walking through some hard times. Some of them are just walking through what seems to be the normal times, where good and bad and hard and difficult, as well as a blessing, kind of gets all put together. So, Father, we're asking that as we look at this passage, that you could give some clarity to our hearts to understand how, through all things, you work together for good. 
as we look at the life of Joseph as an example to us. For we pray in Jesus, your holy name, amen. Genesis chapter 37, beginning with verse 1. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. And these are the generations of Jacob. And Joseph, his son, being 17 years old, was pastoring the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Billah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report about them to their father. Now Israel, or Jacob, loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. The unfair advantage. How can God take the things in our life that happen that aren't even fair and turn them and to our advantage. Now, I want you to think with me about the story of Joseph for, for just a moment. And this is what I want you to think about. Many times, if we're not careful, we think that people in the Bible kind of had it made. That if they were following God and being faithful to what God was wanting them to do, then everything just works out. It's almost like wherever they go, it's a straight path and level feet. But the truth is, that the more you look at people in the scripture, the more you realize this. Their lives, some of their lives, were just kind of messed up. Matter of fact, if you look at Joseph's life, and if you were to pitch him as a, a good idea for a reality TV show, people would look at you and say, this can't be true. Because think about his situation. He is sitting in a scenario where his mother is sister to Leah, who is also married to his father. Two sisters, one husband. On top of that, there's two more concubines that are like wives. So there are four women, one husband, and a total devoid sense of any kind of common sense at that point. Here's what I want you to hear. There's never a time where polygamy is mentioned in Scripture that it's praised. It's always shown as a complication. And so here he is in a mixed family. You come from a mixed family. Your father had four wives. Two of them sisters. I don't know if you notice this, but not all sisters get along. <laughs> not only that, Leah, the first wife, was snuck up. On, Jake, on Jacob on the wedding night when he thought he was going to marry Rachel. And the Bible says he got married and obviously he drank enough, which is why I'm against drinking at weddings, period. <laughs> because it says in the morning, behold, it was Leah. You've got to drink a lot to get to that moment. So think of the tension that's going on. Not only that, Leah is looking at Rachel, who is more loved than her husband loves her, and says, I can produce children. You can't. I'm producing sons, and you can't even produce dinner. 
all kinds of things going on there. Mixed family, rivalries, and not only that, think about what it'd be like to be the kid, a younger kid, and none of the other kids wanted to play with you. Because it became very clear when Joseph was born that his father, Israel, loved him best because he was a child of his old age and because he was the firstborn from his beloved Rachel. Now, it's hard. Let's just face it. It's hard when you have a lot of kids to make sure that you're always loving everybody equally. Okay? Now, you, you, you love them equally, but I'm talking about there's always some kid, I don't care what you do, that thinks they're not the favorite. My father, 13 brothers and sisters. This is what I want you to hear. In some families, the reason you know you're not the favorite is because they told you. I have been in the room with people that have told me, I was told very clearly I was not wanted. I was told very clearly that they already had enough girls in this family and they needed a boy. Think about what it'd be like to grow up and not just wonder if you're not the favorite, but to be told you're not the favorite. Oh, oh, let's get one better. And dad decides, just in case you were confused, I'm going to make a coat of many colors. So it'll go with everything, spring, winter, or fall. I'm putting it on Joseph so he can walk around and the coat could scream, I'm the favorite, I'm the favorite, I'm the favorite. And here's something I want to tell you. Joseph wore it. Now, Joseph has a lot of qualities in his life, especially later in his life, that I'm going to tell you want to emulate. But at 17, he didn't mind being the favorite. He didn't mind tattling on his other brothers. They're not doing the sheep like they ought to be doing the sheep. And so there was layers and layers to this. So I just want you to understand the dynamics that are going on in his life because he is in the middle of family problems. Not only that, they dislike you to the place that one day dad sends you to go find your other brothers where they're pastoring the sheep in a far area. And while they can see you coming because you're wearing that coat again, no matter how hot it was, you're wearing it because it tells everybody, I'm special. There he is. And what the brothers do, they start talking about it, and they said, you know, we could solve this problem. Now, what, what would it be like to be in a family where the way your brothers decided to solve the problem was to cut your neck, dip your coat in the blood, and go home and say, I don't know what happened, but I think you got eaten by a wild beast. That's kind of harsh. One brother said, no, 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 we're not doing that. So let's put them in this pit. 
Because he thought, what I'll do is I'll come back, get them out of the pit, and we'll try one more time, you know, to reconcile things, make things go okay. But while he's gone, the other nine brothers see these Ishmaelites coming through and says, hey, I know we can get rid of them, we can penalize them, and we can profit from it. So they sell their own brother into slavery. I got to tell you, at this moment, I don't think Joseph in the pit is feeling like the favorite. I don't think he's confused anymore about the way his brothers feel about him. So there he goes. All his dreams, dreams that he was going to be exalted over them. I mean, not only did he have the dreams, he told them the dreams. Here's a good idea. If you're going to tell people that one day you're going to be their boss, you might not want to go in and announce it until you are. (laughs) But now, he's in slavery. So he gets to Potiphar's house, captain of the guard in Egypt, and he goes in as his low-end slave, but God's hand is on him, and Joseph is faithful with everything he touches and is careful and very intentional. And Potiphar sees the quality of who he is. And by the time we get to Genesis 39, Potiphar has taken him, exalted him to being the manager of the household to the place that Joseph literally was able to say to Potiphar's wife, my master has held nothing back from me. Anything in his household is mine except for you. You know why that was important? Because here's this 17, 18-year-old, virile, young man. And Potiphar's wife starts looking at him and saying, I think I want you. The Bible says not only did she think it, she began to act on it, she began to pursue him, and Joseph started doing that little, I can't be alone in the room with you dance. Bible says he didn't want to sit by her, didn't want to get near her. He did his very best to never be alone with her. And it says that that wasn't enough of a hint. The Bible literally says that she pursued him day after day after day after day. And remember, he is not in a position of power. So one day, she's frustrated She's alone with him. She invites him to her bed. He declines again and says, I can't do this to your husband. I can't do this to my God. I can't do this. And so he is running out of the room that he is in, and she grabs what he's wearing and pulls it off of him. And she decides, well, if I can't have him, nobody will. So she lies. She lies about him trying to assault her. She lies to her husband. And here's Joseph being faithful to God, being faithful to his master, and because he said no, is now in the king's prison. Now, I know it says the king's prison, but can I just quickly let you know, prison is prison. And so here he is in prison. He's faced 
family difficulties, on-the-job harassment. Now he's falsely being in prison. And once again, he's faithful, he is careful, he's intentional. He's doing what God would have him do to demonstrate quality and character. The chief jailer watches him and says, I can use a man like you. And he puts him in charge of everything in the jail. So one day, the cupbearer to the king, which would have been a very prestigious position, and the chief baker, which was more than just, you know, he rolled out phyllo dough. I mean, not only would he be responsible for the food, he'd also be responsible to make sure the king didn't get poisoned. And the Bible says the day came where the king was upset or Pharaoh was upset with both of them, put them both in prison. They both have dreams. They're both trying to figure out what's going on in their dreams. And Joseph interprets the dreams and looks at the uh, cupbearer and says, this is what's going to happen. In three days, your head will be lifted up and you're going to be restored into the position that you had before, prestige with the king. The baker gets all excited. This guy interprets dreams good. I like this. Tell me about my dream. He says, oh, in three days, your head also will be lifted up because he's going to hang you. And the birds of the air will eat your flesh. Not what he's hoping for, but the truth. But Joseph looks at the cupbearer and says, there's just one thing I ask for. Don't forget me. I shouldn't be here. Don't forget me. And so here is Joseph being faithful, is falsely accused and is in prison. It's faithful and given this opportunity to tell the interpretation of this dream. And you know what happened? That cupbearer walked out of that prison and forgot him. Not for a day, not for a week, not for a month, not for a year, two years. And I got to tell you, I think for some of us that if we had been walking through the moment that Joseph was walking through, there might have been a part of us that said, hey, God, this is not fair. I've been faithful, and I was falsely accused. I've been faithful, and I was put in prison. I've been faithful, and I'm stuck here. God, can you tell what's going on? And maybe you know what it's like. To be in a place where you're wondering if God actually knows where you are. Does God really know the moment I find myself in right now? What you have to know is this. It's never just about you. So while you're in that moment and while Joseph was in that moment, God was setting it up over here. For something amazing to take place. Pharaoh has a dream. He has trouble. He wants interpretation of the dream. Nobody can interpret the dreams. Nobody can be able to give the thoughts of his heart. And so finally at a certain point. The cupbearer remembers. I know a guy. Pulled up his little prison Rolodex. And said here he is. And the Bible says. That they took Joseph. And after he bathed and shaved. He's brought before the king. And he interprets Pharaoh's dream to him. And I'll tell you what's amazing about it is in such such a hard reality is that Pharaoh is so impressed because of Joseph's ability to understand the heart 
that he has spoken from and for the way that God has worked and given this warning about there's going to be a day of, of feasting for so many years. Now there's going to be days of famine and we've got to prepare. The Pharaoh says, there's not a smarter guy in Egypt because I talked to you guys and you didn't have any idea what this was about. This is my man. And once again, he is exalted to second in command over this entire nation. And God uses him in an amazing way. Now, can I ask you a question? Could there have been a part of Joseph that might go like this? I've been through this before. I mean, boom, boom. And maybe you're there too. You're like, hey, I don't like it when it's too good. Because I'm a little concerned about what comes after it. But Joseph understood something. My life's in God's hands. High or low, I belong to him. You know what's interesting? In the darkest time, when you think there is no hope, I want you to hear something. Jesus is right there with you. He is right there with you. You think you have faced the darkest moment anybody's ever faced? The Bible says Jesus, Jesus took all that sin on himself. Somebody has hurt you. Somebody's been unfaithful to you. Somebody's been unkind to you. Somebody has done things that is unspeakable that you've never even told anybody else about. I want you to know Jesus was right there and takes that sin, takes that hurt. And I don't fully understand how God works all this out within a lost world and the consequence of sin and all that's happening and, and why hard things happen to good people and why sometimes do bad people seem to get good things. Here's what I do know. No matter what, I can trust that he can be trusted. And I cling to that. Matter of fact, later on, there is a famine to the place that his brothers come. And just like his dream, they bow before him. And then they leave. Then they have to come back. And he reveals himself to them. And he says, listen, God's at work here. Go get dad. You bring everybody. And they did. And the Lord prospered them. But then the Bible says there came a day when Jacob, Israel, died and his sons began to talk and said something like this. Now that our father's dying, Joseph will seek his revenge. You see, that's what happens because in the flesh, people look at that and say, surely you want to go to get even. But when you're a follower of Jesus, what you learn is vengeance is the Lord, not mine. What you learn is I don't have to make it even because Jesus didn't ask for even with me. I can trust him. I can trust him. Now, that doesn't mean there doesn't have to be, let me just pause. That doesn't mean there doesn't have to be consequences for choices that put you in jail. That doesn't mean that there shouldn't be things that are the result of things. I mean, 
on, on Friday, I'm driving up to, to Fort Worth, and as I'm going, I get a phone call, and the question is, do you have the special events trailer? I was like, well, no. And somebody had stolen it. And we got them on tape. They came three times, you know, because they wanted to shop first before they purchased. And they came. That was a joke, and it wasn't that bad. And they brought over a cutting torch so they could cut the boot off and cut part of the tongue off so they could steal the trailer. You're stealing from you know, Baptist Association, okay? And if they're caught, the question was, will we prosecute? The answer is quickly, happily, because I want them to grow. I need to help them. Now, if it was a Baptist church that stole from us, I might negotiate rates. But the reality is, is that if you don't bring correction, there's never change. But I'm going to tell you, you will never get full justice in this world. You've got to trust God. What did Joseph say in Genesis 50, 19? But Joseph said to his brothers, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Joseph understood this. I don't belong to me. I belong to him. And he's going to use my life so he could do something bigger than I could have ever done on my own. So you didn't do this to me. God allowed it because he had a plan bigger than your anger and bigger than my dream. He had a plan. And so I have to ask myself, how did Joseph get this understanding? How did Joseph learn how God used the unfair to his advantage? And, and I think there's some choices Joseph made that I would like to pull to that I think that you and I can make today as well. And the first is this. You can choose your response when things happen. You can choose the way you're going to look at it. You can choose how you're going to respond now. Here's the way we're wired. When it's good, we love it, right? I mean, is there anybody saying today, hey, look, it's been so good. Could we knock that down a bit? I mean, I've heard people cry out for relief on the bad, but I've never heard anybody saying, I cannot handle one more blessing. I just want you to stop, God. Turn off the spigot. I'm done. No, we like that. God uses good times. God uses hard times. But you know, the reality is you and I are tested whether the time is a good time or a hard time. Think about what's said in Proverbs 30, verse 7. Two things I ask of you, God. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying, giving me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord, or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of God. And what the, what the writer's basically saying is this, God, protect me so that when things are so good, I don't forget who brought it. Or when things are so hard, I would dishonor you by my choices. Good times, hard times, it's both used by God to test our mettle. So what do you do? You stay close. You stay close to the Lord. So that as you walk through the good times, you walk in a way that honors him. When you walk through the hard times, you walk through a way that honors him. Joseph made a choice not to rely upon himself. 
You see, in good times, it's real easy to think, oh, Lord Jesus, you're so close. I'll never be far away from you again. And it's emotional. When it's hard, sometimes it's like, Jesus, you're so far away. Will I ever see you again? It's emotional. What you need to know is God loves your emotions. He created your emotions. But God doesn't want you to walk with him just emotionally. He wants you to walk with him relationally. And in a relationship, it's not about the way you feel. It's about who you've made a commitment to. You go to any wedding, and normally there's a vow like this. Sickness or health. Rich or poor. Good or bad. And I will tell you, you talk to somebody who's been married 50 years, they're going to say this. I would be grateful for 50-50. But the reality is, no matter how well you marry, no matter how good a husband or wife you are, there are days that if your spouse could park the car on top of you, it could be appealing. You don't, you don't build a marriage on an emotion. You build it on a covenantal commitment. And that's what Jesus did for you, and that's what he calls us to, to him. There's another choice you can make. And that is the choice to understand what Romans 8 says. And let me just read this part to you again in verse 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. I want to be very, very clear and careful with you. The Bible does not say all things are good. It says in all things God is working together for good. That even in my hardest moment, God is working together for good. That even in the hardest challenge, God is working together for good. That only God can take what is the most devastating moment in my life, and in it, he can bring his life, his spirit, his hope. He promises that to us. You need to know something. Your life does not have to be defined by the worst moment you ever went through. Your life does not have to be held hostage by the words that someone else spoke to you in anger. You belong to Jesus. Once you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, once you ask Christ to come into your heart and to forgive your sin and come into your life to be your Lord and Savior, I want you to hear, I don't care if your mom and dad didn't like you, Jesus loves you. The God of the universe who knows all, knows all things said, you're worthy in him. Somebody looked at you and said, you will never amount to anything. Jesus would say, wait a minute. Yes, you do. Because in Christ, I can have all things through Jesus Christ who loves me. You don't have to be defined by your biggest defeat. Jesus is in the room. He's right there for you. You can also choose your actions. Genesis 39, 2 through 4. Say, 
The Lord's with Joseph, and he prospered. He lived in the house of Egyptian master. We're talking about Potiphar. And when his master saw that the Lord was with him, and the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his intendant. And Potiphar put him in charge of his whole household and trusted him with everything. And that's because Joseph said, whether I am a slave or free, I will work as unto the Lord, and I will put my hand to it, and I will do it in a way that demonstrates who I belong to. We can also choose our attitude. In Genesis 39, my problem is that's one of my favorite songs. It's okay. I mean, I've already got, you know, Clint Eastwood going in my head, and now i got to get Joseph back in there. But that's okay. You know, Clint wore serapi, so I guess we know we're getting close. Okay, but here's what happens. You can choose your attitude. Let me stress that. You can choose your attitude. Have you ever been on a car trip with the one child that didn't want to go? <laughs> Listen, you can change a tire when it's flat, but you can't put your kid in the trunk. I want you to know that's a rule. <laughs> but you can choose your attitude. Genesis 39, 19, after hearing his wife's story, Potiphar was furious. He took Joseph, threw him into prison. And Joseph could have gotten in prison, gotten all sulky, got in the corner and say, it's not fair, and until things get fair around here, I'm not going to be happy. And he would have missed what God wanted to do in his life. Joseph didn't allow the disappointments of his life to determine his attitude. This past Monday night, we had the ministry staff over with their spouses for dinner, had a great time. They shared with Pauline and I about how they met each other, and, and then we asked some other questions, and they shared some stories. And there was a story my wife was about to share. I said, no, 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 don't share that, because that's showing up on Sunday. Because about a little over three decades ago, we began a journey where pain became part of our lives. And it was, it was excruciating for her. And uh, I'm not going to go through all the details of what I'm saying. It was immobilizing. It would literally just knock her down. And there was this one day where my wife is on the bed, and she is sobbing because the pain is to the place. She doesn't even know where to put it. And I'm a man, so I'm thinking, how do I fix this? And I couldn't fix it. I mean, you know, if something's broken, I can fix it. But I didn't know how to fix that. I tried to comfort and encourage, and that wasn't going quite as well as I hoped. And so she's going at it, and, and uh, I mean, it, it was a hard time in our house. So I thought, you know, if I can get her to laugh, it'll help. So I had this basketball uh, little uh, Nerf ball thing in my office at home. And, it, you know, it's a little small rim that's plastic with a little small Nerf ball you could throw into it. And it had two red suction cups that you pushed it on the door. So I thought if the unexpected couldn't help. So I popped that thing off. I'm going to the bedroom. I slap it on my forehead. So, you know, that goal's like here. And I come in and I did that little Baptist dance. You know, we don't move. We just kind of sway. So she started cracking up, and I'm thinking, mission accomplished. <laughs> Praise God. She's laughing instead of crying. And then I popped it off my forehead, and she really started laughing. <laughs> because it looked like an octopus had given me two big hickeys <laughs> right here. 
and it's Saturday. And I'm preaching the next day. So she let me borrow some concealer, you know, which I will tell you, what a lie, you know. I mean, all it concealed was stupid, barely, you know. So I, I'm trying to figure out, so I'm standing inside my office while everybody else is out there, and I'm thinking, I'm going to come in right when it's time to preach. And I look in the mirror, and I look at that stuff, and I just wiped it off. And I walked in, and, of course, my church family's looking at me like, two big hickeys on his forehead. Uh, and so I just shared with them what happened, and they laughed like you're laughing because here's the thing. We're a family. And if you want perfection, you stopped in the wrong parking lot. I mean, you can find it in Jesus. The rest of us are struggling to grow up. But here's one thing we learned in our house. No matter how hard you hurt, no matter how much your heart is broken, you choose your attitude. I'm not talking about living in denial. I'm not talking about saying, well, you know, I never needed that arm. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just saying, Lord, I'm going to trust you when I hurt so bad, I don't even know how to spell your name right now. But I'm going to trust you. So just like Job, though he slay me, Yet, I will trust him because he's trustworthy. And so when I think about Joseph and I think about his life, I think about if I can choose my outlook, if I can choose my actions, if I can choose my attitude, I end up choosing the life God wants me to have. And for some of you today, as I, as I think about you, I, I just want you to know that, that maybe it's been a struggle. I don't know about you, but sometimes it was a struggle for me to take things that I thought were so unfair and see how God could still use them. And you know what was the hardest for me? It wasn't hard for me to figure out how God would take something unfair in my life. It was when I saw the unfair happen to the people I love. couldn't understand it but I've learned you can trust him you can trust him in the pit you can trust him in the prison you can trust him in the palace because he's never changing where do you need to trust him today will you bow your heads with me as your heads are bowed, I just want to mention, you know, when I, when I talk about this kind of thing, I'm just so aware that there are some hidden heartaches. I'm aware that some of you, like me, you put that concealer on, trying to make sure nobody can tell what has happened to you or what you've walked through. But you need to know God knows exactly where you are. He knows what you walk through. And as your church family, we'd like to ask you, would you trust us? I'm not talking about lacking discernment. I'm talking about being intentional about being able to talk with people about your journey. 
about letting people that know you and love you in to hear your heart. So in just a few moments after I pray, our deacon family is going to be here at the front. They'll, they'll be available to you. I'll be available to you. And if you've never met Jesus, oh, I'd just love to talk to you about knowing Jesus. Or you're walking through a, a struggle. I just want you to know that these folks want to pray with you and pray for you. There may be somebody right around you. You just reach out to and say, can you pray with me right now? Or it may be that you just want to come to the front and take one of these bands so that you can pray for a student as they're gone. What, whatever it is, whatever the Lord needs you to have, we want you to have it this morning. Now, Father, give us a heart that can trust you. Give us a willingness, even when things aren't fair, to trust you in the unfair. Not that it was something that someone should have done to us, not that it was a, a good thing, but that even in a hard thing, you're there to walk us through. Thank you, God, for never, ever leaving us or forsaking us. For we pray it in the holy name of Jesus. Amen.